Hello and welcome to Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne, and I would like to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, today, whatever time it is, wherever you are living in this beautiful world of ours. So sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and discover what awaits us there. Hi everyone and welcome back to the second part of our episode on Skinwalkers. I first contacted my guests through their postings on Reddit. I'm not going to try and pronounce their username because I can't. I have tried and failed miserably and I'll only embarrass myself if I try again. I saw their post which I'll read out in a second followed by an experience my guest sister had with a skinwalker. Then we'll return to our conversation with my guest So, grab that blanket and hot drink, sit back and relax if you can. Let's begin. In the traditional Navajo way, skinwalkers are seen as witches, but they weren't always seen that way. My late grandmother, who was a medicine woman that practiced the blessings way, told me of the origins of the skinwalker. Being a skinwalker wasn't always seen as a bad thing. In fact, they were seen as people with amazing gifts. They could change into the form of any animal, run vast distances quickly, mimic people's voices and were known to use magic. During colonisation, skinwalkers were used to relay messages between wall camps and spy on the enemy without being detected. Having the skinwalker abilities was a gift. When we lost, the good of the community took a back seat and people began to focus on themselves. Instead of sharing what you had, people began to look after their own families, claiming property and livestock, and there were people that got the short end of the stick. Jealousy is a terrible thing. People became jealous of one another, wanted more fortunate people to lose what they had. They looked to skinwalkers who had otherworldly powers to do their bidding. Now, being a skinwalker is not a gift. You condemn yourself to a life of unhappiness and anger. In order to become a skinwalker, you must sacrifice someone that you love very much. This shows that you are indeed committed to depravity. The interesting thing is that you could have met a skinwalker and not even know it. They are people like you or me that have chosen a path in which they will hurt others. Navajos want to separate themselves from death of any kind. We burn clothing and personal items of deceased relatives and it is very taboo to keep anything that belongs to the dead. Keeping such items can make a person sick or suffer horrible events in their life. However, skinwalkers surround themselves with death. Skinwalkers have been known to grave rob and search through people's garbage. They use bones and hair from the dead and victims' personal items to create bundles. They place these bundles near a person's home and bad luck will fall upon the person. The reason I bring this up in my upcoming stories, I'll start addressing the bundles and retelling skinwalker stories from my immediate family and myself. In her younger days, my sister was very much interested in the rodeo scene. My family actually has a pretty impressive legacy when it comes to the sport. My sisters didn't compete but had plenty of friends and family that they would go and watch. My two sisters would travel around the southwest following the rodeo circuit. The cowboy lifestyle isn't always glamorous. It can be filled with alcoholism, drugs and depression. Unfortunately, this took hold of my sister and she got in trouble with the law. My sister was looking at jail time and the family was very concerned about what might happen to her. This was very out of the ordinary for her. My mother went to a local medicine man and they talked about the next steps. 
they decided to have a ceremony for my oldest sister. A few days passed and it was time for the ceremony. The medicine man and his wife showed up a little past dusk. They came into our house and we served them the food we had prepared. Everyone chatted for a bit and when we finished eating and cleaned up it was time to start. Everyone sat down in the living room in a large circle. The medicine man sat on the far west side of the room. My oldest sister sat to his left. In the middle of the circle was a large pile of sand that was smoothed out on top. My uncles got hot coals from the fire and placed them on the sand. The medicine man prayed in Navajo and sang blessing songs. This went on into the night. At the height of the ceremony, the medicine man turned to my older sister and told her that they would have to go outside and pray in the darkness. He told her not to look around as she is singing. He told her to keep her eyes on him. The medicine man, my sister and my uncle went outside. The medicine man turned around and began singing in the darkness. My sister was watching him sing, trying to keep her focus on only him. Then she heard it. Off in the distance she heard someone whistle. This made her feel sick to her stomach. Our elders tell us about our culture's taboo starting at a young age. One of the biggest things that they stress is to never whistle at night. They tell us only the dead whistle at night. So when my sister heard whistling out in the darkness, fear gripped her heart. She was so scared that tears began to well up in her eyes. The whistling got louder and louder, as if whatever it was was moving closer and closer. My uncle was also outside during the prayer. He admits that he was scared too, but he wanted to be there for my sister. What my uncle saw was even more miraculous. He claims that as the medicine man sang, a bundle came from up above. The eagle feathers that the medicine man was holding opened up like a hand. The bundle gently floated down into the feathers and the feathers closed around the bundle. The medicine man stopped singing and the group went back into the house. My sister stumbled in, clearly shaken from the experience. The medicine man could see how my sister was. She asked him what was whistling. He told her that it was the skinwalker and that he was trying to call the bundle back to it. We gathered around to see what was in the bundle. The medicine man opened up what looked to be a leather pouch. Inside of the pouch was a bone about an inch wide and three inches long. Upon closer inspection, the bone was hollowed out and more items were shoved inside of the bone, held in place with twigs and dirt. He dissected the bone to find hair and pieces of a shirt, both belonging to my sister, and a very tiny drawing of a woman behind bars. Whatever was calling out to this bundle had very ill intentions for my sister. Fortunately, after the ceremony, all of my sister's charges were dismissed. I asked my sister what they did with the bundle and she said that she wasn't really sure. She says that she vividly remembers being very scared when they were outside singing. My sister controls her emotions very well and so I can't even begin to fathom how scared she must have felt in that moment. Personally, I find it hard to believe that these events are merely coincidental. Do you fear for your own safety sharing this information? I, I, I sometimes. So, in terms of like the re, like writing my stories online, yeah, I, I've had this fascination with the lore and I. Personally, I do believe that they are real. Right. And I've had my own experiences that have, you know, made me believe that there's something out on the reservation that's kind of insidious and not necessarily in my best interest. Right. Can you please explain for listeners why this topic is really, if ever, discussed? Okay, so what... Essentially, like the the, it's interesting because it kind of seems, and what I've been told about it in terms of my you know personal experience, is that they because they are a, like a supernatural entity, they are aware of when people are talking about them. Right. So when you start talking about them, 
you know, the elders always mention that, you know, don't talk about them. They start coming around when you talk about them. And so in terms of like my, me being anonymous and writing these stories from a place of, you know, I don't want anyone to know my identity is because I do believe in them. I know I've had my own experiences and I do, there is a level of, you know, fear in terms of like, oh, I'm writing these stories and putting them out on the internet. And I do have a level of fear that if my identity is found out that they're going to start coming around and I'm going to start experiencing, you know, essentially, you know, misfortune and travesty in my life that, you know, I'm not up to. And in reality, I haven't like a few, like a handful of people know that I write these stories, but like in my immediate family, I have not told, like I've told my sister and I've told my mother, but every, anybody else like my aunts, my uncles, who are some of, who are some of the people that have shared their stories do not know that I've shared these stories. Right. Well, honestly, I think you're incredibly brave because I know that culturally it goes against what I've read of what's acceptable and not acceptable. So I think for you to share it, that's a really that's really a very brave thing. And I understand the fear and it's really interesting how they didn't start out that way but turned that way. That actually makes me feel very sad. It makes me feel very sad because obviously they were a force for positiveness at the beginning. And I think like as, and this is, you know, simply speculation, but I feel like as, you know, the generations went on, like people did start getting jealous towards the beginning. And then like, it was more of a yin and yang towards the beginning where like there were some good, some bad, but generally as, you know, the generations went on, there was such a probably a stigma of like, oh, well, if you're a skinwalker, you're bad. And so instead of, you know, I, I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say like, you know, there is that stigma against you and you, you, you do bad because you're expected to do bad. And like, so in terms of like the medicine women and the people that practice the blessing way, when you, they do provide a service. And so I think on the, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have skinwalkers who people do, you know, essentially contract to do their bidding. And essentially, you know, you never know. It might, it may just be their job. Right. I'm sure that it's like people come to them wanting, you know, that are jealous and that use their gifts to essentially do bad on people. And I'm sure that, you know, that like, you know, like I assume like it's a simple, I try to connect it to an occupation. So like where medicine women, medicine men do provide blessing services. I'm sure like maybe it's, it could be just an occupation for those skinwalkers who have these gifts, but you know, they, they're, their occupation is to bring misfortune to others. Maybe they're not necessarily bad people. Um, as I mentioned before, I don't know if you know, but people like your neighbor could be a skinwalker and you wouldn't even know. <laughs> that was that was going to be my next question to you. You just beat me to it. You don't know? There's no way you can tell that a person's a skinwalker, male or female? No, not at all. And um, in my previous stories, uh, there was there was a woman in the around the community um, that in multiple stories where the person is found out to be a skinwalker and they lose their lives and it's interesting because I think that's why you know they 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 it's just, I don't know it's it, it, to me it's it's kind of funny the way I think about it is like they punch they have a punch card. They put on their skins and they go out and, you know, have shenanigans in their, you know, skins and then come back. 
and it's it there's i really try not to be disrespectful in terms of like my my you know metaphors but i honest like i can honestly think like you know my grandmother provided those blessing services and she <laughs> did receive compensation for her blessing services and so i'm wondering if just they it's just you know a day at the office for them they put on their clothes they put on their attire they do their job and then they come home and you know as me or you would you know come home try to relax try to forget about their day you know i i, I honestly don't know what if it's like that or if it's you know a little bit deeper and they're essentially are evil i do try to give you know everybody the benefit of the doubt perhaps perhaps they started out as nice people at one stage but but got corrupted by the power that this ability gives them yeah like it could essentially be that they are drunk with power yeah it's interesting because i've i've also like also heard like from multiple things of like you know if you choose to walk this path you're essentially shortening your life and so i guess they do try to get the best of you know what they have right now and you know essentially they 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 live this half life and not necessarily i don't necessarily know if they're happy or not but like I, 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 it's a shame that, you know, there are people out there, if they do have this gift or curse, whatever it may be, that are living their lives, you know, you know with this stigma of like, you're evil, um, you you're evil and that's all we know about you and but see the thing is if you have multiple experiences where they are all bad your people are going to assume that you are a bad person right right so unless you know some random chance of like you know somebody has a good story about these skinwalkers then you know you know that could change you know the the way the the stigma around them and the taboo but from all the stories that i've heard from all the you know things that i've heard it you know i do like to give them the benefit of the doubt but in terms of what i've heard they are evil and they're out to you know hurt them in some hurt people in some way like you have like they like in terms of like my job they say there's a certain person you have to be a certain person to be a kindergartner kindergarten teacher i think you have to have a level of hatred and anger and you know, malice in order to follow that lifestyle because it is such a taboo. It's such a, you know, bad thing to be a skinwalker. So I think they really, something is pushing them so hard to do it. And so I think it does take a special person, a special kind of evil inside of their body or soul that makes them want to follow that path. I agree. Yeah. And it, I honestly think that it probably wasn't always that way, but I think now, you know, it is, I do like to see both sides. I like to see, you know, maybe it's just, you know, their job and that's what they, but I also think that like based on my, my experiences, my family's experiences, I, I do fear and keep myself anonymous for a reason. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair enough because these people who choose to become skinwalkers know what they're doing. They know the choices they're making and obviously they enjoy it. Yeah. Or they wouldn't choose that path to begin with. You mentioned before if their identity is found, then they will die. Maybe you'd like to expand on that a little bit? I, I'm not necessarily sure of like what exactly happens, but I've, no, I've found out that like if – 
they are essentially found out if somebody recognizes them, then they have essentially a very tragic, odd death. It's not necessarily like they take their own lives or anything like that because they're found out. But I've had heard instances where somebody was recognized um, in like a kind of odd way. So something that, you know, something I've heard in terms of like somebody being recognized was um, my cousin was at home and they live out, you know, outside of Gallup, which is, you know, has a pretty dense forest. And he was at home and they live out, they have a rural community, it's way out there. And so for him to have somebody out in the wilderness standing there is very, like, very, very odd. And so his experience was he was at home, he was outside, it was starting to get dark, and he looked up into, you know, the tree line, and he saw somebody sitting in the tree. And he's like, oh, my God, who is that? And he, like, you know, my my cousin is very, like, scientific he's a skeptic he doesn't think you know anything he's not a traditionalist very level-headed walks up to the tree and sees a man that he knows from the community in that tree and he calls him out by name and the the man doesn't the man acts very strangely crawls out of the tree and then just walks back into the into the the forest and my cousin was like, it was super weird. I didn't know what he was doing. And when he told his mother, who does believe in the like traditional Navajo stuff, she was like, oh no, that that's not good. You know what? What you experienced wasn't good. And she's like, did you like what happened? She's like, he's like, no, I saw him in the tree, and I was yelling his name at him. And he crawled out of the tree and he just walked away. And, you know, he wasn't, there was some speculation that he was a skinwalker because, you know, people around the community were like mentioning it. But my cousin saw him, recognized him, called him by name. And that gentleman, like a few days, several days later, was found face down in like a puddle like didn't like he was sober he didn't have like any alcohol in his system was face down in a puddle that was maybe three inches deep and like no like didn't it seemed like he just fell asleep on the ground and drowned in the puddle wow it was a really tragic like way to die but there was speculation that he was a skinwalker. He was caught. You know, my cousin saw him, you know, out like him doing what he wasn't supposed to be doing. And essentially he died because of that. And that's, you know, my experience, like my story, but I have also heard other people saying like, if you recognize who it is, then, you know, yell at them and tell them, you know, who they are. And essentially, they they've lost their you know their anonymity, and they you know they can't go out and do bad things anymore. And so, I'm not sure if they end their lives or if you know whatever whatever power they have over you know whatever power they have is drained. I'm not sure necessarily sure, but they do they do meet their end when somebody recognizes them and calls them out. For your cousin, after seeing that and hearing about this man's death, did this alter his skepticism? Um, No, I I don't think so. I think they did keep it um, under wraps in terms of like what happened. But I do have, I do have cousins that like who have, you know, are very, very well educated, you know, have master's degrees, have very well paying jobs that have had their own experiences and will full out tell me that they don't want to talk about. 
one of one of the the first experiences that I had was um so I live I live outside of Gallup, like a couple of miles outside of Gallup. And I we have we don't have paved roads. And so amongst our like family members, we would drive, you know, on these dirt roads. And one of the first experiences that I had was I was in the vehicle with my mother and we're we're driving home on this dirt road. And the road is about, you know, because you we we drove on the we drove on the the road for a while. It, the indention in the land was, you know, not too deep, but pretty deep. And the the length, the width of the road was maybe like maybe seven, six or seven feet. What I think, what I experienced from that night was we're driving home and something very long, like I can, I the vision that I have in my head of it was, you know, very, very odd. It, it was a very dark figure and it, the length of its body covered the entire road. It was very thin very very thin its torso was maybe like maybe like i i imagine like a thin very thin man he was it was all black it had very long limbs and it walked across the road in such a speed that i can't like i can't fathom how something could run across the road so quickly and it, it it wasn't off in the distance. It was right up against, like, like if we were going even a little bit faster, we would have hit it with the vehicle. And it goes across the road, and it makes eye contact with me and my mother. And all I can remember is, like, you know, it's very distinctive eyes. Like, I couldn't see the outline of its face. I couldn't see anything about its face. Just its very vividly white eyes and it wasn't like it was like the pupils were not white i can like when you shine a flashlight like at your cat or your dog and they're in the dark and you have that reflective shine back that that's you know what what i saw in that creature's eyes as it passed the road you know i i saw it my mom stopped we looked at each other and, you know, they, they talk about, like, when you experience skinwalkers that you don't, you're not supposed to get scared because that's what they want you to do. They want you to get frightened. Right. And so my mom, you know, we had, you know, a pickup and we drove up on the side of this, the, the little road and we shined the headlights towards the ditch and we could see whatever it was peeking back, which, like, if, if it was a coyote and it almost got hit by a vehicle. I doubt that it would be standing there looking back at us. And I remember that and being like, that's weird. Like my my memory of that was not of fear, but generally just thinking, that's weird. What did we see? And very, very curious. But the experience that I'm, you know, that's the end of that first experience. But the second experience was the one that like I don't walk alone at night. I don't like uh, like the experience. The second experience that I'm going to share is the experience that like made me fearful of like being alone out on the reservation in the dark. Thank you.
encounter near Zenith, Arizona. True story. Glad to get this off my chest. Summer of 2013, I'm driving a packed U-Haul through a remote section of Navajo County with my 28-year-old daughter following in her car, middle of the night, pitch black, and the only radio station I could get was KTNN, the Navajo Nation. The DJ had been playing old school country but switched it up and suddenly the cab of the truck was filled with the otherworldly sounds of the Bear Creek singers. We had just passed the turn off to the ghost town of Zenith. Nobody lives out there, it's just devoid of life. All I could see was the road illuminated by the headlights and that insane music filling my mind. We're doing about 70 and suddenly he was right in front of me. The next couple of seconds goes like this. There, illuminated in the headlights, is a figure on all fours, walking across the highway directly in front of my speeding truck. In place of arms and legs, this creature had four long sticks, and the body was draped in a colourful Navajo-style blanket. No head, just those sticks moving back and forth, slowly propelling him across the road in the middle of the night. I swerved the truck and just missed him. I looked in the rear views and saw him approaching my daughter's headlights. Then I watched her car make the same last second manoeuvre to avoid running him over. I was stunned and just kept driving, reassured that she was still behind me. Thirty minutes later, we pulled up to her new Dixon Snowflakes, Arizona, and her first words to me were, What the fuck was that? For the record, she is LDS and almost never swears. Since that night, I myself have moved to Snowflake and driven that same lonely stretch of the 277 fairly often at night, but never while listening to KTNN for fear of creating conditions that would result in a repeat of the incident. I inquired with my native friends up here, and the only advice was, don't tell that story anymore. So I still think God, superstitions, and everything else is BS, but I will go to my grave believing native culture holds powerful secrets the rest of us don't understand. Skinwalkers are real. Apparently they like to mess with ignorant whites like me. Our native friends won't discuss it with us and nobody believes me except my kid. So when I... I I had kind of grown up a bit and um, we... Again, like I said, we live in a rural area and there's no street lights. Like you, when you go outside, it's essentially complete darkness unless you, you know, it's a full moon night. And it's funny because my uncle, you know, had internet and I didn't have internet at my house. And so I would walk over to my uncle's who lived about a fourth of a mile away from my house. And I would walk over, spend time on the internet and I would walk home. Like walk home in the dark to my house by myself. And I was never afraid. Like, you know, I was I didn't live in the city where, you know, people were gonna come up and grab me or anything like that. And so one of these one of those nights I stayed super late. And it was like, you know, 10, 11, and my uncle was like, You better go home. You know, that's enough. You can you better go home. And so I start walking. And I, you know, walk a couple of feet and I get on my bike and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, you know, essentially ride my bike back to my mom's house. So I get on my bike and I start pedaling and I'm pedaling down, you know, the path. And, you know, on the way home, we had a sheep corral where we would keep the sheep and, you know, all the sheep were, you know, in there. It was nighttime. And I get to the sheep crown and I just happened to glance towards it. And right next to like the little shelter that they have was something sitting. And I looked and I stared at, I like stopped my bike 
And he sat there and he stared at it. And I swore, I swore it was a dog. And I stared at it and I stared at it. And the moment that like pure, like I've never been so scared in my life. Like until like a totally disequilibrium of like, you know, what I had thought, you know, what being real and what being, you know, what reality and like what I'd been told, you know, came forward when the dog that was sitting next to the sheep corral stood up. Wow. I was so, I got so scared. And off in the distance, I could see like, you know, my older sister in her, her vehicle and her husband, you know, they were talking with my uncle. I rode my bike back and I was, you know, so, so, so frightened. And they didn't understand what I was saying. And I was in tears. I was crying. I was trying to, like, you know, talk and tell them. And, you know, if the funny thing is, like, you know, as adults, I feel like if a child tells, you know, generally, the if a child tells you a response is supernatural, generally adults, you know, write it off. Right. They're like, oh, you'll be fine. You know, you don't know what you saw is kind of like the the response that people have, like adults have given their children when they experience something supernatural. But the difference with skinwalkers in my area is when I told what I saw, immediately the adults that were standing outside of the home took it very seriously, put me in the vehicle, no, put me inside the house, they got in the vehicle, and they went looking for whatever I saw. So it not like it validated what I saw and made me fear it even more because I saw something that didn't make sense, that was so unnatural, so weird. And when I told the adults that were there, it wasn't like, oh, well, don't worry about it. You're just seeing things. It was taken with such a level of urgency and, you know, seriousness that whatever I saw was truly seen as a danger because they went after it. Did you need to go to a medicine man and get blessed afterwards? N- no, not not after that time. Um, I, I have had blessings before. Um, people do generally have blessings after they experience something like that, but I, I'm not sure why I didn't. Um, something that, you know, happened recently, like a couple of years ago for here, like is another experience I've had. This one, not necessarily in terms of skinwalkers and like the the transformation stuff. But as I mentioned before, they are kind of like the, they're, they're tied to witchcraft, the bad witchcraft. And I did experience something here at home that I do want to share. And I think that is very much connected to the skinwalker topic. So I was, you know, I, I, I had moved to the city and um, I had been living in the city. We, um, I moved in with my boyfriend and we had just got, we just purchased a new home. And we have neighbors, we have people around here that, you know, are, you know, we're, we're pretty spaced out here. We have, we're fortunate enough to live in a home where our neighbors aren't super close. But, you know, they, they are, you know, very, very, you know, nice, very, you know, they look out for us. Right. This was, I say, two, three years ago. So um, I'm at home and, you know, I was finishing, my, finishing, my, finishing school and, you know, I have a smaller dog, a smaller dog that, you know, that's my companion and we have a dog door and one day like was like just any other day we have I tried to like have her go outside and she didn't want she didn't want to go out of her dog door and so I literally was like what's wrong like she was her back hair was raised 
she did not want to go outside. And so I look into my backyard and I see like a plastic bat. And so I write it off as like, oh, she's scared of that plastic bag. And I didn't investigate it further. And I literally was just like, oh, go outside. And I like put her out the regular door. Like I opened the front door, I put her outside, I closed the door, and immediately she jumps back in through the dog door. She's like, nope, I do not want to go outside. And I was like, what? And so, you know, I, I locked the door, I come back into the house and I'm doing things inside the house. And then the next, like a couple of hours later, as it starts to get dark, I walk outside. I walk outside and there's a substance. It's, I don't know how to describe it. It was thick. It was like brown. It had like, it was, it, I would say that was like coffee grinds. Like if somebody had coffee grinds and put it like in a bowl with water and like mix it up and then they like sprinkled it all over the outside of my house. Like from the driveway out from the street all the way to the back of the house, into the backyard towards the back shed it, it was pretty like a distant thing and I was like I was like how did I not notice somebody outside and it wasn't just like a little trickle of stuff it was like this person whoever did it put a ton of stuff all over the side of my house and it was on the walls it was on the sidewalk it was and it was like this weird substance. I can't. I don't know how to describe it. But um, the, I'll tell you what the, the the medicine man said in terms of that. Um, so we that that substance all around the outside of my house. You know, my boyfriend comes back and I was like, "Look, look at all this stuff." And he's like, "Ew, what is that?" And I was like, "I don't know." He's like, "Where did that come from?" I was like, "I don't know." He's like, well, you were home all day, weren't you? And I was like, I literally have no idea what that is. Who put that there? I don't know. He's like, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll get rid of it eventually. And then that night, you know, um, I, I was in my room. And our the setup of our home is odd because the our living room, generally, like, your living room is towards the front of your house, like, towards the street. Our living room is at the back of the house and our bedroom is toward the front of the house. So like it, our, our set, our setup of our home is strange. And in the middle of the night, I get up to use the restroom. And as I'm going to bed, I can hear knocking. And it's in the back of the house. And I was like, if somebody wants to knock on your door, they would knock on the front door. But no, it was in the back window of our house. And so I get into bed and I'm, I, you know, poke my boyfriend and I'm like, somebody's knocking. He's like, where? And I was like, at the, it wasn't at the back door. It was literally at the, like a back window. Because it didn't sound like they were knocking on the door. It suddenly they were knocking on a window. And I was like, what is that? And I was like, well, he was like, I don't know. And I was like, well, if they knock again, Let's get up and check it out. And so we lay there for a bit, but then like whatever it was changed position to like the side of the house and knocked on the window of the house, not on the door, just on the side window. And so we jump up, turn, we turn on all the lights and we go looking around and the, the window, the side window that the, whatever it is knocked on, you know, is in the dark path, like not very well lit. And I wasn't brave enough to go and, you know, walking down that path to go see, you know, what was going on. And so I, the next day comes and goes and like maybe three or four days later, I'm driving to work and somebody in traffic, like runs a stop sign and hits me head on and totals my car. I went to the emergency room. They checked to see if my head was okay. And, you know, I, 
I hurt my back. I, I, I had to go into physical therapy for a couple of months. And it was so odd. Well, you know, after my accident, I you know, took the day off and I came home and I rested. And then, you know, curiosity got the better of me. So I went out to that window and there was black stuff all over. And I, I am so superstitious and I, I believe so much in the traditional Navajo stuff. I didn't touch it. And so I called my mom and my mom, again, does believe in that, does believe in the traditional Navajo way. And so she scheduled uh, a, essentially a consultation with the medicine man. And he told me that whatever came around that night had very ill intentions for me, was looking for me to get hurt, you know, looking for me to possibly, you know, end my life because they put, he mentioned that the substance that they put on the side wall was dirt from a, like a grave. And it was mixed with some kind of, he didn't specify what kind of blood. I just assumed human blood, but I don't necessarily know if that's the truth. But whatever that substance, that person, that thing, whoever, sprayed along the wall of the garage, the wall of my house, the wall, the, the sidewalk, like concocted this substance you know against my house and he's like do not touch it do not touch that stuff that they sprayed on your house he's like you have to have somebody come out and clean it somebody else not you i told him about the window and he's like don't touch that either so you know my boyfriend my boyfriend is you know caucasian and he he was instructed by my family to clean the the substance off the walls and the the floor outside and it was interesting because i was having i remember very vividly as i was having the blessing ceremony that i the the door of the hogan which is you know where we have our um ceremonies was open and i remember they they tell you that your focus needs to be in in the on the voice of the medicine man. You need to be paying attention to what he's saying because generally, and you know, in one of my stories, I mentioned that like whatever was going after my sister made an appearance that night and was trying to call back whatever it was was bothering her, and my eyes wandered out the Hogan door and I could see something. I can't, I can't, I can't explain what I saw, but something running on the horizon around the Hogan. And I just got scared. I didn't say, I, 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 you know, I didn't, you know, I just looked back down and I looked at the medicine man and when he finished, you know, his prayer, I told him that what I saw, and he's like, well, I'm glad you didn't look at it for too long because that could have essentially um, ruined what I just did for you. Wow. Did he say what it was? He said that you know, he's, he, so whatever it was that came to my house, and I'm not sure if it was a skinwalker, he, they, it was implied that whatever came around my house was a skinwalker. But he said that the person that caught that essentially hired the skinwalker was, and they, it's interesting because they can't full out give you a name. Right. They, they, they described a person to me that has not necessarily been, you know, kind to me in the past but like you know I always thought that my interactions with the person was cordial and that you know hey you know I was always nice to them and I'm, I've, I really try not to you know bring bad things upon myself by treating others in a bad way or like acting 
in a way that would make people think less of me. But apparently this person did not like me, did not like, you know, what was going for me, was essentially jealous and was hired, you know, the people that do not follow the blessing way to have something happen to me that would essentially end my life, have me really hurt, have me lose my job, something, some kind of ill will. Wow. And it almost succeeded. Yeah. Once the medicine man did this blessing for you, did you have any issues after that? I did lose my car. I, you know, did have to go to physical therapy. But um, I find that, you know, essentially, it, you know, what the, the misfortune that was happening to me ended and was sit back at that person. Oh, goodness me. No wonder you have, no wonder you're sharing your stuff because one, it's a validation for you, and two, it helps you to come to terms with what you've experienced, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of interesting because there, I, I experience people that don't necessarily think that my stories are true, and, you know, they're they're allowed to have their skepticism. But I, I, I have my truth. I, I know what happened to me. Right. I think that my stories provide a validation, not only for me, but for people that have also experienced like totally horrifying things, misfortune, and it, I feel like. Like my stories are scary, but I they hold like that truth in them that like I hope that somebody sees them and they're like, oh my gosh, I've, I've seen this too, and just validates that I am not crazy. I'm a crazy person. I wondered if that was part of the reason why you were sharing it because reading your story in the Skinwalker subreddit, that thought occurred to me. That might be one of the reasons you were sharing it to help others because you can tell the stories on there that are genuine and the ones that aren't. They have a distinctly different feel to them. So this one's my mother's story. Um, So this was when I was an infant and my dad, who, you know, he he passed when I was younger. He, He was... He was a electrician, so he would get contracted and he would, you know, because the reservation is so small, he would have to go elsewhere in order to work. And so this was when around the time, you know, I was like a toddler and I was at home with my mother. She was home alone with me. And she said that she was you know, in bed, it was dark, and she heard her car door close. And she was, you know, because we live out in the middle of the no, out in the middle of nowhere, that is highly disturbing to hear your car door close when you're home alone with a child, and you live in the middle of nowhere. It's very, very off-putting. And so she, when our home has like, it didn't have like a regular, you know, open, close, shut door. It had a a glass sliding door for our front door. And now that I think about it, I'm like, I'm mortified by that thought of having a glass sliding door as your front door. Because she said that she looked out and she saw something outside and it was inside of the cab digging around, like looking through her things. And she, you know, she put, like, you know, went out to the front. You know, I'm still in bed. She goes out to the front and looks out that glass sliding door. And she sees whatever it is. And so she's like, you know, whatever, whatever it is, I'm going to shoot it. She's like, if it's somebody stealing my stuff, I'm going to shoot them. 
And so she she loads the gun and you know the glass siding door is super loud when you open it. You can't like crack it open. It's as loud as can be. And so she slides the sliding glass door open just a little bit and points the gun out. And she said she's she's like she wasn't even scared to like shoot her vehicle. She was just like whatever it is, it's you know, it's it's this is highly highly disturbing whatever it is and she says she's you know aiming at it it notices that she opens the door and it turns its focus toward her and she says it started moving having having like erratic movements she 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 calls it dancing she was like it looked like it was dancing and she said it started to make its way closer and closer to her and she said that she starts pulling the trigger on on the rifle and it's not going off and she's pulling it and pulling it and pulling it trying to like shoot what now is essentially coming up the walkway of our house dancing still dancing and I was, I, I asked her, I'm like, well, how is it dancing? And she's like, it literally had its arms above its head, but like, its arms were above its head, but not straight. She said, as it, as it walked, it would contort its arms and move them in a weird fashion as it took steps towards her. And so she's like, eventually it, it came super close to the door and she said she shut her eyes and, you know, began to pray in Navajo and the gun went off and she said she opened her eyes and it wasn't there. Wow. And she, she said she like, she said that she, her legs got so weak that she just like fell down, like right at the front door and like the door, the screen, the sliding door was still open. The rifle was still halfway out the door. She said she sat there and she just wept because she was so, so frightened by her experience that she had. And she's like, she, you know, her, her retelling of this story is so genuine. And she gets so shaken and so, like, essentially she, like, I don't know how to explain it. When she tells the story, it makes her uncomfortable. Right, right, because it brings back all those emotions. Yes. And so that that was, you know, one of the stories that I've heard where she, you know, Usually, the you know, the stories that I've heard, we, we have to have in terms of, like, blessing, you know, something that blesses the, the gun or something that blesses the bullet. So they put, like, cedar ash on, you know, bullets. They put, you know, cedar ash on the gun, and then the gun will work. If they say that, um, they even tell us, like, if you're walking home at night, you need to put ashes on your forehead you know, ashes on you so that, you know, whatever, whatever's out there doesn't bother you or touch you. And so, um, she said that, well, the, I've noticed that that's one of the only times that she or, or a person hasn't had to put some kind of blessing on the, the, the weapon in order for it to work. But she did say a prayer, though. Yes, she did. She does mention that she like she closes her she closed her eyes and began to pray in Navajo, and that's finally when the gun went off. But when she opened her eyes, nothing was there. So essentially, like maybe like this is just a thought that I've had that she started to pray in Navajo, and whatever it went whatever it was ran off, which allowed the gun to go off. Oh, good point. 
That's probably a very good reason. Wow, that's really interesting. Your poor mum must have been so terrified because she would have had no way to get out if this thing was in her car initially. No escape. And where would she go? And with you in the house, she would have been really scared. I could see that. I could, I could see that. That's pretty scary. Wow. Sounds like you guys have had some, like, your family has had some very interesting experiences. I'm sure that they're, I'm sure in terms of Native families, all of them have their own set of skinwalker stories. But I'm, I feel like I am actively putting them out there. And so, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because I, I'm putting myself out there and I'm hearing people telling me their, their skinwalker stories. And in response, like, I think, like, people are so scared to tell them. They're so scared to to bring bring up something horrible that's happened to them. And so I think that that's where, like, the, the kind of skepticism comes in, where, like, oh, well, you're the only one telling these skinwalker stories. But I think every single family on that reservation has had some experience one or another of like where they have had to have you know protection people walking on the roof um seeing something running across the road seeing something abnormal and you know people don't talk about it and don't share those experiences so i think they just write them off of like okay maybe i'm crazy and I think, again, that that's why I like to share my stories. It's like, no, you're not crazy. No, your your experience is not, you know, it is abnormal in terms of like, you don't go in, not everybody has these skinwalker experiences. Um, but I, my family has experienced things and I'm sure there are many families out on the reservation that do. Um really grateful to you for taking the time to share what you have with us that's really appreciated immensely oh you're very welcome it's good to talk about it and not necessarily like get like a dirty look about it because sometimes when I you know I'm the weird relative that like what kind of stories have you heard and stuff like that and you know it does People do get put off by like my questions, but I see it as, you know, getting them out there, wanting people to understand that like there's a bigger, bigger world out there in, you know, in Native culture, in, you can't just take things at face value. Right. Things and there's, experiences that we cannot fully comprehend correct correct oh look thank you so very much i'm really really grateful you too thank you so much We've come to the end of our two episodes on the subject of skinwalkers and have heard experiences from people kind and brave enough to share their stories. We have had a very interesting conversation with my guest and heard their personal experiences as well as ones that have happened to family. It has been, at least for me and hopefully for you all as well, an interesting journey into this part of the Shadowlands. If you enjoyed these episodes, then please leave a positive rating and written review on iTunes. Who knows, you may hear your review read out at the end of an episode, so get writing. And of course, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcasting platform so you don't miss an episode. As with the previous episode, our music was called Apache Moon by Watchwolf, copyright 2008, licensed under Creative Commons. 
For more information, visit the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com and don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and subscribe also. The more the merrier. As always, I would love to hear your experiences or thoughts. You can email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com and please consider supporting this show on patreon.com. You can check out the link on our website. Also check out our Walking the Shadowlands Facebook page. Like and follow it for hints about our next upcoming episode or follow us on Instagram. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for listening. Tonight, today, wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours, we'll see you this time next week. Thanks for listening. 